Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen. Uh, so I wanted to uh, just uh, let you know as well, um, uh, we have um, a uh, uh, situation this morning with our kids' ministry and that our kids' ministry director, forgive me, did, you, did Alyssa mention this? Um, our kids' ministry director was exposed to COVID um, uh, before today. Uh, so because of that, we are um, having to not have kindergarten through school age care uh, this morning. Uh, we do have nursery available, so wanted to convey that information. So I apologize for the inconvenience. Um, so uh, first things first, I want to welcome you, especially if you're new here this morning. If you're new, thank you for being with us. Um, this is a great opportunity that we have to uh, be together here at North Haven Church. And if you're new, either watching online or if you're new in the room, I want to meet you. I want to uh, just know who you are so that I can uh, introduce myself, find out who you are, and then pray for you. So if, yeah, if, that's, if that's you, please take advantage of that. In that, after the service, I'm going to be in the commons, and you'll see a sign that says family room. It's where we have a bunch of couches and stuff. That's where I'll be, and I would love an opportunity to meet you and uh, to interact. Uh, so please take advantage of that. Also, if you've been coming, if you're relatively new for the last handful of months, and uh, uh, you have yet to meet with the staff or myself, I would want to invite you to what we're starting um, here on March 28th, um, once a month. We're going to be uh, doing pizza with staff, and so uh, that's going to happen right after the second service in the commons, and uh, basically it's what it sounds like. You're going to have uh, pizza with uh, staff members, including myself, find out more about the church, membership, our mission, our values, uh, some of our ministry opportunities. Uh, so please, if, if, uh, if you're new or if you've been coming for a handful of months and you have yet to meet staff or hear about those things, please come to Pizza with Staff, which is happening on March 28th. Again, that'll happen every, every month, so please take advantage of that. Last week, um, I did a, a message called Regroup, and that's kind of the word that I've adopted for 2021 is, is regrouping, and basically what that means is for 2021, my hope is that we can, as a church, find one another again. And a uh, and, and big part of that is what we introduced last week is this Church Center app. Um, and I want to encourage you, and we're going to continue to invite you and, and, and prompt you to do this. If you haven't yet, please uh, download the Church Center app. Uh, it's really easy. It's free. And then if you download it while you're here in person, uh, North Haven will just pop up as an, um, an option, and you can select that, and then you'll have access to the information in the directory. If you're not here in person, you might have to search North Haven. Um, you'll be able to do that and then add that to your, uh, your app. So please take advantage of that. Again, it's a really great and easy tool for us to be connecting with one another. And um, along those lines, I want to take a moment here and speak only to those of you who are joining us uh, via the live stream. Uh, first of all, I, I just want to say um, uh, I, I miss you. <laughs> I miss you so much, and uh, I, I just can't wait 
to be able to uh, be able to do church community in person with you again. And I want you to know that you're missed, uh, that we love you, and we can't wait to be with you. And I also want to say this, that, that if you're able to, if you're able to, and you also are going to other places, would you consider coming back uh, so that we can be together again? Um, it really does make a huge difference to be in this place. Um, but until that time, know that you are loved and uh, that we can't wait to see your face again. Um, so with that being said, uh, one last thing I want to mention to you is um, uh, Easter's coming up. Easter Sunday, April 4th. And we're going to also have a Good Friday service on Friday, April 2nd. And I'm really excited about both these opportunities. So on Friday, April 2nd, we're going to have our Good Friday service. It's going to start at 6.30, but the, the, we're going to encourage you to come at about 6 o'clock because we're going to have set up in the commons a procession through the Stations of the Cross. It's going to be a time of reflection, a time of remembering the sacrifice that Christ became for us, and then we'll have a service inside here. So please consider being a part of that. It will, of course, be live-streamed as well, so you'll be able to participate that way. And then on Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to have our two services, 9 and 1030, but then in between that, we're going to have thousands of eggs. What do you think about that? Yeah, my son's excited about that. So these eggs, uh, they're not like eggs. We're not making scrambled eggs, right? No, they're full of candy and toys and stuff. So um, we're going to have them all throughout the church. So at 10 o'clock, we're asking families to show up. And then before the 1030 service, we're going to let them loose. <laughs> it's going to be Lord of the Flies with, uh, with uh, Easter eggs. And so that's going to be a great, um, fun opportunity. So please come and be a part of that. All right, we're starting a new series today called Crazy Stories from the Bible. Now, if you've read the Bible at any length, you know that there are some crazy stories in the Bible. And there are some quintessential stories that kind of stand out in my mind as well. Stories that, that basically I would say everybody knows. Well, name a story or a person in the Bible that you think probably most everybody knows, even if you haven't been in church a whole lot. Who, what's the story? Daniel. Daniel, probably. A lot of people know about Daniel in the lion's den. What's another story? David and Goliath. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yes? Um, Noah's, Ark. Noah's Ark. Okay, this is unbelievable. The three stories that were mentioned are actually the three stories that we're going to look at over the next three weeks. So wow, that is confirmation. Thank you. These people were not planted. All right, I promise you. We're going to look at a fourth story on Easter Sunday, and that is the story of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, which is a crazy story. So we're going to be looking at these three crazy stories, Noah and the Ark, Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, and we're not just going to be rehashing them. Uh, yes, we'll get into some things that sound familiar, but we're going to take a deeper look. We're going to get into the nooks and crannies of these stories and flesh them out in such a way where they're not going to be just a story on a flannel graph. Raise your hand if you remember flannel graph. 
All right, all right. If you've been in Sunday school at any point in the last 50 years, you probably have had a flannel graph experience. I was actually tempted to have a flannel graph here on the stage, and I would tell the story with flannel graph, but I, to my better judgment, I opted, opted out of that. So we're today, we're going to look at the story of Noah and the flood. And hopefully, as we talk about that, your, your eyes are going to be opened a little bit more to the richness of the story and what it is that we can glean from this. So you don't have to have grown up in the church, as we pointed out. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to know about Noah and the flood. See, for a lot of people who've read the Bible, even if you've decided to, at any point in your life, pick this up and start with the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, chances are you probably at least read the first 10 chapters before you're like, "Ah, maybe not. And if that's the case, then you've read the entire count of Noah because it starts in Genesis 6. But what do we really know about the story of Noah? What do we really know about that? And what can we learn from this crazy story in the Bible? So we're going to dive into that. So all you have to do is, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 6. It's just six chapters into the very beginning of the Bible. I'm going to open up to that. If you don't have your Bibles, don't fret because it'll be on the screen. Certainly, you've probably have heard of the Bible app. You can access that as well. But Genesis 6, we're going to begin there. And that's when we first start learning about Noah. It's only in the sixth chapter of the entire Bible that this story comes up. And what's crazy is that by this time, so we know in Genesis chapter 1, right, God created everything and he created Adam and Eve. That's another crazy story that many, if not all people, have heard of to some extent. In six chapters... We've gone from two people to a lot of people in just six chapters. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, when human beings begin to increase in number on the earth, the population at the time of Noah is a lot more, a lot more than probably you may have originally thought or assumed. The population on the earth had actually become so much that God took notice. God took notice. So how could this be? How could we go from two people in Genesis chapter 1 and then six chapters later have just this overwhelming population on the earth? A population so large that God would take notice. How could this be? Well, again, we're only in the sixth chapter of, the, of Genesis the first book of the Bible, so we need to consider a few things. One, so the first thing we need to consider is we know that the flood, only eight people survived. That was Noah, his wife, their three sons, and then the son's wives. Those eight people were the only ones, only humans, to have survived the flood. And then from Genesis chapter 1, to Genesis chapter 6, even though we're talking about six chapters that would take, what, 10 minutes for you to read? 1,656 years have passed. 1,656 years have passed from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Noah and the flood. That's an important number. The reason it's an important number is because people lived 
a lot longer at that time. You, uh, some of you uh, in your 70s or 80s, you'd be considered an adolescent in this time. You'd probably just be getting acne. Because people on average, when we look at the people recorded in the Bible, up to the time of Noah, people, the average lifespan was 912 years. 912 years. So because of these numbers, 1,656 years have passed from Adam and Eve to the time of Noah, and, and people living on average 912 years, because of these numbers, experts give best guesses as to how many people were alive at the time of Noah. Now, depending on what variables you use, you know, like how many kids on average would a family have if they lived 912 years and all that stuff, and you put in these numbers and you create these equations, you could Google, you, not right now because you've got to listen to me right now, but you could Google later um, how many people were alive at the time of Noah, and you would get a bunch of different answers. But experts and Bible scholars typically fall between 10 million people and 4 billion. 10 million people and 4 billion people, based on these numbers, 1,656 years, and people living on average to 912, 10 million to 4 billion people on the earth. Okay, that's a huge difference. I get that, 10 million to 4 billion. That's a, that's a big number difference. But the point is this. There weren't just hundreds of people on the earth. There weren't even just thousands or even tens of thousands. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of people. And the reason that that's important is to understand that there were many, many people on the earth is because God was basically like these people that I've created, these people that I've created, they're living too long. They're living too long. And that's a big problem. It's a big problem because in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So not only was there, was there wickedness all over the, the earth, but every single thought that existed within humanity was evil all the time time. Wicked living and evil had become the predominant thread throughout all of humanity at the time of Noah. And this fact alone, this fact alone testifies to God's demand for righteous living. God demands of us to live righteous lives. He demands and expects that we live in obedience and honor to him and to others. So, God decided to do something about this. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, it says this. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. But there was one person... One person amongst a multitude 
of human beings that existed at this time amidst the wickedness and the evil that existed in the world and in humanity, there was one person that caught God's attention, and that person is Noah. So who is Noah? Who is this guy? Noah is descended from Adam, of course, but his, he's, uh, his, uh, he's descended the 10th generation. So Adam is his great, 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 you know, so on and so forth. He's also the descendant specifically of Adam and Eve's son, Seth. Noah also waited a very long time to have kids. You know how old he was when he had kids? 500 years old. 500 years old. But what made Noah so special? I mean, those are cool facts, all right? But what made Noah so special? Why is it that he caught God's attention? Well, what were the qualities that God noticed in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9? This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Three things. Righteousness, blamelessness, and faithfulness. Noah determined to live a righteous life, to live blamelessly, and to be faithful to God and God alone. Those were the three things that set him apart, that caused him to get God's attention. And that's important for you and I to consider, because if we could sidestep for a moment, if we could sidestep for a moment, things were so bad and evil in the world was so prominent that there was only one person who lived righteously, blamelessly, and faithfully, And so what we can glean from this is that one who lives according to these three things. So you and I, what we can grab from just this little bit is one who lives a righteous life and one who lives a blameless life, one who lives a faithful life. When we do that, God notices. God notices. So in the midst of the wickedness of the world and this one righteous and blameless and faithful man, God gives Noah an FYI. It's a really important FYI, too. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, so God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. Imagine being Noah in that moment. If I was Noah, and Noah was much, I'm sure, better than I am, but if I was Noah and I, I heard this from God, I would, I would respond by saying, um, okay, thanks for the heads up. What now? So God fills Noah in on his plan. He fills Noah in on his plan. And he proceeds to then give Noah the manual on how to build a big boat. Now, this is, there's one uh, there is many truths, but there's, there's a specific truth here that we can glean from this that I think if you're going to grab anything from my message today, take note of this, and that is this. This was the very first test that we see in Scripture, the very first test that we see in all of Scripture, a test of whether a man can follow instructions. Contrary to popular opinion, the miracle wasn't the flood. The miracle was that a man followed instructions. 
But let's look, at, let's look at this comparative of the ark. So if you look at this picture, you can see um, the dimensions, the relative dimensions. That's probably not what the ark looked like, but if we could look at how it compares to other things that we know in this life. Um, it's, it was bigger than a football field. It was certainly bigger than a car, bigger than a 747, bigger than a, a house, and, and, and a little bit bigger than a submarine. But even, that's, even since that's impressive, keep in mind this, it was maybe about a third of the size of the Titanic. So the ark was given specifically, the instructions for it were given specifically to Noah. Now Noah's ark is measured in cubits. Uh, cubits was an ancient form of a measurement, and this is a different thing, for, or a hard thing rather, for us to really understand and compute, because a cubit was basically the length from your elbow to your middle finger, and that varies from person to person, but roughly it's about a foot and a half. And so the exact measurements of the ark are a little bit elusive to us because it's based on that distance. But based on, on, on this, the ark was roughly, roughly about 400 feet, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high. But again, these measurements differ on a person's interpretation of, of, of what a cubit is. An interesting side note, though, is that the ark, it had no steering wheel. It had no steering wheel. So what does that tell you? It wasn't meant to be steered. It was meant to what? Float. And what I find interesting about this is that it's a slight reminder for you and for I that we are to allow God to guide us and not take the steering wheel ourselves. And I would actually say that the myth of the human life is that there's a wheel at all. There isn't a wheel. We just need to trust in God. But building the ark didn't happen overnight. Anybody know how long it took Noah and his family to build the ark? Anybody want to guess? 40 years? Any other guesses? 400? What? 100? 100 years. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. 100 years it took Noah and his family to build the ark. That kind of puts it a little bit in perspective, right? It takes it, takes it from being uh, a little uh, really crazy to maybe a little less crazy, right? Because you can get two able-bodied people, and they'll be able to build a house in 12 weeks. And they took 100 years, 100 years for eight people to build this ark, but God doesn't tell Noah to build this boat for no good reason. It's not going to be a, a, a museum or something to marvel at, but it has a purpose. God makes it specifically clear what he's going to do. He tells Noah how he's going to end things. So in Genesis chapter 6, verse 17, it says this, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. So the only humans that are going to be spared are Noah's family. And also every bird and every land animal. And speaking of animals, just quick side note, experts all over the place vary as to how many animals were on the ark. So kids in the room, how many 
animals do you think were on the ark? What do you think, Aiden? 500, okay. Canaan, how many animals do you think? All the animals? That's a safe answer, right? Yep. How many animals? Maybe 10,000. Okay, that's a calculated answer. All right, any other guesses from the adults? How many animals? All right, well, the experts, biblical scholars, they range between 20,000 and 40,000 animals. Can you imagine the smell? Be like the state fair on steroids. So then after a hundred years, a hundred years of building this ark and getting it all prepared, when Noah was 600 years old, 600 years old, we read in Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 through 12, where it says this, On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So for those of you, for those of you kids, you guys know with, with, a, with a flood or with, when it rains a lot, right? The rain comes down. And you, have you guys ever had flooding in your basement or anything like that? Have you ever had flooding around you, like where you've been able to wade through the, the grass and that kind of stuff and waters up to your ankles? Yes, Cannon? Yeah? Yeah. We had flooding in our basement, didn't we? Those were good times. This wasn't just rain that was coming down. This was, this was a disaster. Water was coming up from the ground. It was bursting out from the ground and coming from above. Have you ever been to uh, the Grand Canyon or the Appalachian Mountains or the Rocky Mountains? Have you ever been to these places and, and stood out and, and gazed at those things? And we have, we have this thought where we're like, holy cow, that is beautiful. And it is. But it's also the evidence of this catastrophe. Because the earth was drastically changed as a result of this flood. It wasn't just a lot of rain. So the waters covered the earth and every living thing that moved on land and wasn't on the ark, all those things perished. Actually, at the time of the flood, the waters rose to about 20 feet above land, like above the highest land, which means that, that if, if uh, all that water that was there, if today's earth... If the basins were leveled and the mountains were leveled, the water that exists today would actually cover the earth. But after 40 days and 40 nights, the flooding stopped. And after 150 days, the water eventually began to recede. And then it took another 100 days for the waters to recede so that they could find dry land. All in all, how long do you think Noah and his family were on the ark? Any guess? Just a, yep. Close. Just a little over a year. Just a little, I see what you did there, Elijah. Yeah, it's, it's good math. But just a little over a year, they were in that ark. 
And the ark eventually came to the rest in the mountains that they were at, where Noah and his family exited the ark, and the Lord made a promise. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, it says, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Now that's a crazy story. That's crazy. But here's the deal. The story seems crazy, and it would be understandable. I get it to want to dismiss it or to, you know, people, there are many people who are dead set on, on eliminating the validity of a story like this. And we could go into a lot of details about how this story has validity scientifically, but we're not going to spend time doing that. I will say this, though, a quick side note. Over 300 of the cultures that are in the world today have a a disastrous catastrophe flood account. I find that interesting. But there is something very important to consider, and that something very important thing to consider is Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) What? What does Jesus have to do with Noah and the ark? Everything. Everything. The whole of the Bible, the entire Bible points to God's, this whole book points to God's unrelenting pursuit of you and I, most beautifully and perfectly realized in His Son, Jesus Christ. This whole book is about that. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that we see Jesus in this story and see it all throughout God's Word. And as such, what does Jesus think about Noah and the flood? Did he talk about it? Did Jesus mention anything about this? He certainly did. We see in the book of Matthew, towards the end of his ministry on earth, Jesus testified to the validity of the flood, Noah and the ark. In Matthew 24, 36-39, it says this, But about that day or hour no one knows, the the day that we're... Uh, the Son of Man, where Jesus comes again. That's what he's talking about. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying here that when Jesus comes back again, it will be like all of those people who are just living their lives. Not living their lives focusing on God, but just living their lives it'll be like it was at the flood when one day they were here and the next day they were gone. So it will be when Jesus returns. Here's why it's so important. If you and I were to dismiss the account of Noah and the ark, you would also have to dismiss the authority of Jesus Christ. Yes, you could say, someone could say Jesus was a liar. You could say that he was gullible. You could say Jesus um, was crazy. 
But if you were to do that, if you were to do that, then you would have to conclude that Jesus could not be the Son of God, that Jesus could not have saved humanity from their sins, and that Jesus' death on the cross would simply be a good man dying for good ideals. But that's not who Jesus was, and that's not who Jesus is. Jesus was, and Jesus is the Son of God. That is God himself. He testifies this to himself, of himself, in Matthew 28, where he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, as I conclude, why is this so important? Why does this story of Noah and then the connection to Jesus, why is that so important? Why is it important to recognize Jesus in this, in this story, in the flood account? The reason it's so important is because God's work, God's decisions, God's redemption and pursuit in the Bible, it crystallizes when we realize Jesus is all throughout this. In every situation, in every relationship, in every suffering, we should see Jesus. In everything. Because just as we can and should see Jesus throughout Scripture, we can also see Jesus in the story of Noah and the ark. Get this, in Genesis chapter 7, we read that when the rains began, Noah and his family entered into the ark. And so in verse 16, it says, The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut them in. Jesus, Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark that when we enter into can save us from an an eternity apart from God. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man himself came to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus is the doorway that we enter. And when we enter that doorway, we experience salvation and rescue. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Thus, when we enter the doorway of Jesus, just as Noah and his family entered through the doorway of the ark, God shuts us in. He shuts us in, securing our relationship with God. Thus, when we respond to God, when we respond to him just like Noah did, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God shuts us into a right relationship with Him and we are safe and secure from the rains and the floods of sin and we won't perish but instead have eternal 
life. Then we can live lives for God, similar to what God saw in Noah. A life of righteousness, a life of blamelessness, a life of faithfulness to God. There are some of you in this room and some of you watching online, I'm going to speak of two groups. Some of you have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have yet to decide to make Him the leader of your life. And I want to encourage you to step out and to make that decision. To say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins and He rose from the dead and He's living today. And I believe that if I follow Him and make Him the leader of my life, that I will be saved. And yet there are some of you here this morning in this room or watching online who made that decision, but you've strayed, you've wandered. And if COVID has done anything, it certainly prompted many to wander. But God's calling you back. He's calling you back and He's saying, under my wings you will find comfort. Under my wings, you will find peace. And you, you're being led to recommit your life to God. To commit to, yes, you know what? I've wandered, I've strayed off the path, but God, I want to live my life for you. In just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for both of those individuals. And if that's you, I'd invite you to pray with me. But here's another thing, too. Some of you haven't gotten baptized. Uh, you, may have been, uh, you may have been a Christian for years and years, or maybe, maybe not long at all. And you haven't yet made the decision to get baptized. You know, baptism, that is an outward expression of what God has done inwardly. The reason why baptism is so important is because when we go in front of others and go in front of the world and we say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And yes, I've decided to live my life for Him. That's why we get baptized. So the world can see. So the world can hear. Some of you got baptized when you were an infant. And as special and as, as important as that probably was for your parents, that wasn't yours. That wasn't your decision. Getting baptized and proclaiming that to others is you saying publicly, I've decided to follow Jesus and I want the world to know. Now here's the good news. You can get baptized anytime. I've baptized people in pool tubs and bathtubs. Now, I'd rather not go to everybody's house and baptize them in their bathtub. But we have this real convenient way to do it. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to have baptisms, both services, 9 and 1030. And we're going to open up where Levi's on. Right there, there's a, there's a tub underneath. And we're going to fill that with water. And we're going to have, we're going to celebrate lives that have committed to follow Jesus. 
And if that's something you want to do, if you want to get baptized, then let me know. Let me know. And we'll get that situated. It's not a big deal. I'll be in there with you. You don't have to give a speech. And if you're, if you're online and you've been, you've been virtual for, for most of, of, uh, of this COVID experience and, and, and you are feeling a yearning to get baptized, uh, you know, I think that, that we could do that. We could do that. We could have you come and, and be a part of that um, in a safe way. What a great opportunity. But let's pray. And for those of you who want to make that decision to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time, and for those of you who need to recommit, I've done that. I've had to recommit in my life. I invite you to pray with me. Father, Lord, for those that are, that are deciding to follow you for the first time, Lord, I pray on their behalf. Father God, I believe that you are the Son of God. You weren't just a good man who died for a good cause. You were God himself. And you came to give your life for me, to take my sins. You died, and then you didn't remain in the grave, but you rose from the dead, and you defeated death so that I could live. And so today... March 14th, 2021, I commit my life to you. I am deciding to follow you and make you the leader of my life. Thank you for saving me. And for those of you who would like to recommit your life to the Lord here today, I want to pray on your behalf. Father God, I have strayed. I have wandered. I have fixed my eyes on things other than you. I have not prioritized you. I have not pursued you. I have not trusted you. And Lord, I don't want to live my life like that anymore because that's shaky and that's, that's sinking sand. I want to stand on a firm foundation, secure in your embrace. And so, Father God, I recommit my life to you. I want to live for you. I want to follow your leading, not my own. I want to let go of this pretend steering wheel and instead allow you to guide my life. Lord, thank you for the love that you so perfectly display in your word and the life we have in you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.